Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. If you have your Bibles with you today, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and today we're launching on a brand new series of messages entitled The Blessed Life. I begin to seek the Lord about what to share with you guys uh, for the next uh, little season here. We're going into the summertime, and you know, I know there's a lot of coming and going and different things going on, but I'm going to tell you the next several weeks is going to be an exciting time in the Word because we are going to be looking at a segment of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount It's a little portion of scripture that's better known to most of us as the Beatitudes. And uh, we're going to be sharing over these next several weeks about eight different principles of life and living, their virtues and attributes, that if we will embrace these things, Jesus says that we will be blessed. And I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. Amen? Amen. I believe we all want to be blessed. So, um... The Sermon on the Mount was just such a masterful piece of teaching that, that Matthew concludes with these words and says this in chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. Now, I want to tell you something. This, this was an astonishing piece of teaching here that Jesus did. And one of the main reasons that this teaching was so astonishing to those that heard it is that there's, there's a commonality among all of these eight themes that we're going to be covering over the next several weeks, uh, these statements of blessedness, and that is that they are very much counterintuitive to the way that we think and the way that we live naturally. And they kind of defy what people would consider to be normal human experience. But how many of you know that the kingdom of God is full of paradoxical things? It's, it's not the way that we think it should be. God's math is not the same as our math. God's way is not the same as our way. His thoughts are not our thoughts, the word says. They are far above our thoughts. They exceed us. And Jesus made numerous statements Uh, to this effect, including the few examples that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks uh, that are are not only counterintuitive, but somewhat countercultural to the society in which you and I live. Now, to, to 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 the world here that celebrates status, how many of you know that our world celebrates status? Our society applauds celebrity. Everybody wants to be somebody. And nobody wants to be a nobody. We all want to be somebody. So for this cultural environment that applauds celebrity and for everybody who's striving to be somebody, a society that urges uh, the assertion of independence, we hear Jesus speak these words today, and this is our text in verse 3. And it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A very simple thought this morning. 
It's, it's something that, even though it's very simply stated, oftentimes escapes our understanding. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And I want to spend some time talking about that with you this morning and just clarifying some terms. The first thing I want to do is just break down the meanings of some of the words and phrases here that Jesus uses. The first one is blessed. And you say, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, this word has 50 different New Testament occurrences, and it could be translated blessed. It could also be translated happy. How many of you find happiness to be an elusive thing sometimes? It's a challenge. It's a struggle. We see people doing all kinds of things and investing in all kinds of ways, and they're trying to gain happiness. They just, they just want to be happy. As a matter of fact, some people put that at the paramount of all life experiences. It doesn't matter if I'm moral. It doesn't matter if I'm committed. It doesn't matter if I'm faithful as long as I'm happy. And Jesus here says that uh, the person that is poor in spirit is going to be blessed, happy, happier. Strong's concordance defines this word this way, and it means supremely blessed, fortunate, and, and wait for it, well off. How many, come on, come on, come on, come on. How many of you want to be well off? Amen. I want to be well off. We just spent several weeks uh, studying uh, the word of the Lord, and it said, for the, uh, John said, I pray that in all things you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And spiritually, in the Lord, in things that matter, in the spirit, I want to be well off. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Amen? So I like that definition there. The word poor here. Uh, the, the state of those who are being blessed here are said to be poor. Now that word poor needs no further explanation. It simply means poor. It means just what it says. Destitute of wealth, influence, affluence, position, and honor. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down this word. Needy. Needy. This word here for poor could also be translated needy. The insistence that one be poor, however, doesn't necessarily refer to material things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But we're going to move now to the phrase, in spirit. That same, that same Greek word that we looked at last week, pneuma. And we're most familiar, as we covered last week, with studying this word in reference to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what this verse is saying here. Understand this, referencing the Holy Spirit here would be contradictory to the rest of the word. Jesus told his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they were filled with the Spirit. Paul told the Ephesian church to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you today that being destitute of the Holy Spirit is not a blessing but rather, spiritual drought is actually a curse. So you're not blessed by being drained or destitute or poor of the things of the Lord. But, but this, this spirit here refers to the inner us, the eternal part of us 
It's the same Greek word here that's, that's used to describe ghosts or the spirit that is in a man. Spirit in the context of this verse refers to the rational soul, the mental disposition of an individual. The you inside of you that makes you you. Did you follow that? Okay. David cried out to the Lord after his sin with Bathsheba and said, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Don't do that. Don't devalue my life in that way. Lord, I know I've fallen short of the glory. I know that I've sinned. But please, Lord, don't leave me here spiritually destitute. So what Jesus is referencing here is our inner man. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is much like what Paul was saying to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12 when he says this in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I want to, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. That's what it means in a nutshell to be poor in spirit. Is that we have a reality check of ourselves. That we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. But we take honest assessments, honest spiritual inventory before God to find the places where we are lacking. And in those places where we find ourselves lacking, we learn then to lean more fully into the grace of God to supply our weakness. Now, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you hear it verse many different ways in the scripture. I believe that when we hear the kingdom of heaven slash the kingdom of God referenced in the scripture, that I believe there's a twofold understanding that we can take away from that. Number one, I believe that kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is used to describe a rulership. John the Baptist said of the coming of Jesus that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. That didn't mean that heaven was coming to earth. That didn't mean that a throne was going to be established here, a realm, but it was a rulership that was to express that the way, the truth, and the life was present and about to reveal himself and that men would no longer have to live under subjection to sin and darkness, but rather they would be delivered to the life in Christ and they would live under the dominion of his lordship. That's the kingdom of heaven that John expressed was coming. I believe not only does it express a rulership, but it also is descriptive of a realm, a realm, a space. Listen to this. From Luke 23, Jesus is there giving his life a ransom on the cross of Calvary. Hanging on either side of him were two thieves, one who was very belligerent, one who was kind of stuck in his ways and just wasn't letting go. His pride was getting in the way. But there was one on the other side of him, however, who was repentant. Who was sorry for the life that he lived. Who was just uh, kind of recognizing 
his own spiritual situation. He was there on the cross taking that honest assessment of his own spirituality and he decided that he was bankrupt there in that moment. And he began to call out to Jesus and he began to cry out to him and ask him, what must he do? And Jesus said to him, he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. That speaks of a realm. And we, we read about that realm where there's no sorrow, there's no suffering. Jesus has wiped away all the tears from our eyes. There's no more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more heartache. That's the realm. We now live in the kingdom as we walk in the spirit and we experience God's goodness and God's grace and God's lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives right now. We are part of the kingdom of God. We're part of the kingdom of God, but while we live experientially under his rulership, we live expectantly that one day we'll be in the realm. Kingdom of God as a rulership is Christ in us. Kingdom of God as a realm is us with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Does that make sense? You understanding that with me this morning? Okay. So I believe in the proper context of this verse, uh, both might well be implied. Poverty of spirit ushers us both and a... An, an availability to God's presence to establish his rule in our lives and is the right attitude by which we can be assured that heaven will be our eternal home. So, what makes all this a blessing? That's this. Unless our righteousness, and if you're not familiar with the term righteousness, it just means to be right before God. Like when we stand before him in eternity, the only thing that's going to matter is are you right with God or are you not? That's it. Your occupation, your income, your salary base, your retirement plan, your portfolios of investments, your, your, your properties, none of that's going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter when we stand before God is are we covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and are we in right relationship through the grace that he has ex extended to us? That's it. Very simply. And unless our righteousness can equal the righteousness of God, we have no hope of heaven. We can work. We can attend church. We can be committed, we can be faithful, we can be zealous, we can be everything that we want to be, but unless we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we are spiritually bankrupt and we can't make it on our own. The prophet Isaiah said that our righteousness, when compared to God's, is like filthy rags. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about trying to earn my way to heaven by being a good person. To be able to stand and look at the gulf between this life and eternity and say, I think I can be good enough to make it there. 
We can't do it. Unless our goodness, unless our deeds, unless our act, unless our heart is just so pure that we can be equal to the righteousness of God, we have no hope of heaven. you, You and I would have to live a perfect life in order to make heaven our home. Likewise, if it were up to us, we'd also have to live perfect lives in order to have God's presence in our life. I was standing here this morning and we were singing that song and we were singing, Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You've never failed me. You've never let me down. And, and I don't know if it was the devil trying to distract me or if it was God trying to remind me of the fact how many times I have fallen, how many times I have failed, how many times I've carried a rotten attitude, but God is always faithful. He is always faithful. He's never failed. So we look at this and we read that the poor in spirit are going to inherit or have the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Happy are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Some have taken the messianic prophecies of Isaiah 61 and other statements of Jesus regarding the preaching of the gospel to the poor. And they've coupled it with other statements such as Jesus saying that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to make it into the kingdom. And they've developed this kind of homespun theology and doctrine that makes material poverty some kind of moral value. But can I tell you something? Being broke or being poor is not a virtue. Likewise, it doesn't mean that God's forgot you or that he's against you. But as a matter of fact, I can think of a number of reasons why material poverty might be a sign of evil in your life. Poor stewardship. Laziness. Wasteful living. Abraham was a very wealthy man and it's said of him that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So poor in this verse indicates the individuals who are not poor because of life circumstances, but rather they have assessed themselves in light of their need of a Savior, in light of their need of God's grace, and they realize that on their own they're spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. It's a choice to see ourselves as God sees us. Individuals who need to be dependent on the Lord at every point in our lives. We sing the old song, I need thee every hour. Can I tell you something that the grace of God didn't cease to be effective in your life once you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? The grace of the Lord continues in your life after salvation. There's a saving grace, or I should say there's a saving facet of God's grace. And there's also a sustaining work of His grace. The same grace that you relied on 
to bring you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is the same grace that you and I need to be dependent on today to live righteous lives before God. To live a life that's pleasing to Him and a life that leads us to heaven. This is not, when, when we talk about, I want you to understand this. When we're talking about being poor in spirit, this is not a low self-esteem posture or mentality. This is not, woe is me. I, I've known folks who, who've made their poverty, uh, mistaken their poverty for righteousness, and that's, that's not it. Material poverty or, or as a circumstance or a will of the flesh can cause you sometimes to trust more in your own piety than in the arm of the Lord. It's true that the gospel, though, will only be heard by the poor because it's those who can stand and look at themselves honestly and sincerely and say, God, I'm nothing without you. Those who think they can pull it together. Those who think they can pull it off. Those who think that they've got enough resources and talent and skill and goodness on their own are not going to hear the gospel though it be preached to them. It's going to fall on deaf ears. They're not going to receive that seed that's being sown. So in layman's terms here, this text is saying, blessed are those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ and in every way they recognize their need of the grace, mercy, and righteousness that God offers because that is truly the only way to attain the kingdom of heaven. You see, this thing of being a believer, being a Christian, being saved, well, it's not of works, lest any of us should boast but it's the free gift that God gives. The reason that Jesus said to his disciples that the first would be last and the last would be first is because the moment that we begin to think that we've done something to merit any of God's favor and blessing on our lives is the moment that we begin to lose out with God. I want to say that again. The moment that we begin to think that we've done anything to merit God's favor and blessing in our lives is the very moment that we begin to lose out with God. That's when he begins to withdraw from us or actually we begin to distance ourselves from him. The moment that we begin to trust more in the flesh than in the grace of Jesus Christ we've messed up we've made a mistake we can never be truly rich in the spirit until we've come to that place in life as Jacob did that we say God I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness that you've shown to me that's when we become spiritually rich. The moment that we begin to add works to grace as a condition of our salvation, we're no longer trusting in grace, but rather our works as a means of salvation. The moment that we say, I believe I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me and because I've been faithful to the church. Can I tell you, you're not going to heaven because you've been faithful to the church. You need to be faithful to the church because God's been faithful to you, but that's all. The moment that you say, I believe I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me and because I've been committed, I've been 
faithful in my giving, any of that. That's, that's not it. We're not going to heaven for any of those reasons. We're going to heaven because we're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that alone. When we trust in works, we shift the responsibility and the burden of providing for our salvation back onto ourselves. And guess what? We can't do it. We can't make it. We'll never make it. This is what Paul spent most of the book of Galatians refuting Judaizers who come to the Gentile believers and said, hey, you may be saved, but if you really want to be saved, you'll also convert to Judaism and be circumcised. You've got to add that work to God's grace for it to be complete. And Paul said, no, that's not the way any of this works. That's not the way any of this works. Listen, when any of us stand before the Lord and we hear the words, well done, faithful, good, and faithful servant, it's not going to be anything that we've done. It's just going to be because we lived a life faithful to his call and relying on his grace and his goodness in our lives and we allowed him to work through us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the only way that we'll ever make it. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The blessing of spiritual poverty is this. You say, Pastor, reel this in for me. Bring it home. What makes me happy about living in spiritual poverty or being poor in spirit? And, and that's this. The blessing of spiritual poverty is resting fully in the provision of Calvary for my salvation. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to be good enough for it. I don't have to get things right all the time or live a perfect life. I simply trust God for it. Do you believe God this morning that you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that that very thing is what secures your eternity? You don't have to walk the tight wire. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to ever mess up. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. I rest in the power of Jesus' blood to wash away the stain of sin from my life. I rest in the sufficiency of God's grace to see me through the adversities and troubles of this life and lead me safely to heaven's shore. I may not have everything that this life affords, but I'm well off. Because I know that my eternity rests in the hands of my Savior. Oh man, I, I, I would be in a mess if it was up to me. You'd be in a mess if it was up to you. Don't look at me like that. I hear somebody, amen, Pastor. No, you're in the same boat. We'd all be in a mess. If Jesus came 
and imparted into us his Holy Spirit, washed us from our sins, and said, now, it's up to you. I've done my part. The rest is up to you. I'm telling you, when it came time to leave this world, I'd be as nervous as a cat with a long tail in a room full of rocking chairs, I'm telling you. Because I would know that I had failed to live up, that I had failed to measure to the standard of God's righteousness. But His grace is sufficient. I, I am well off because I know that my eternity is in the hands of my Savior, the one who has broken the power of sin over my life, the one who has defeated death, hell, and the grave, the one who has taken the handwriting of the ordinances that was against me and has nailed them to the cross, the condemnation that was against my life. He has defeated it. He has disarmed principalities and powers and triumphed over them. And that is a load off of me. I am happy today. I am blessed I can be happy in Christ and I can rest in knowing that I am in Christ Jesus and that he's got it covered. But the moment that I forget that, I begin to think that it's up to me and that I can maintain it and I can't. All I can do is stay close to him. All I can do is stay close to him. And I urge you today that that's all you can do is stay close to Jesus. Oh, we appreciate people. We appreciate volunteers. We, we appreciate people who serve. We appreciate people who give. All of those things, we are so appreciative. But none of those things have any merit towards our righteousness. None of those things have any merit towards bringing the lordship and the rule of Christ in our lives nor ushering us into the realm of his kingdom once this life is over. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit because the poor in spirit realize they can't do it anyway. That it's all up to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. He's the only way. Listen, let me, let me just give you the antithesis of spiritual poverty here. We're going to visit Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 3 again this week as we close. And I'm going to go ahead and ask our brethren to assemble themselves and get ready to uh, distribute the sacraments here in just a moment. Revelation chapter 3, we heard Jesus speaking to the Laodicean church last week, telling them that he wished they were either hot or cold, but because they were neither hot or cold, they were lukewarm. He was going to spew them out of, their out of his mouth. And this week, we look further in that text, and it says this, You say, I am rich. And I have everything I want, and I don't need anything. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
So I advise you, buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I told you at the onset of this message to jot down the word needy. I need the grace of Jesus Christ in my life today just as much as I did at the moment of my salvation. I am spiritually needy. I can't make it. I can't do it. Grace, you see, not only saves us, but it sustains us. It keeps us. We need him today. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.